Just want to give God thanks this evening for another wonderful day that he has blessed us with and a great opportunity to have Bible study again on our Wisdom Call tonight. Uh, my name is Pastor Sharon Hayes and I'm here with my husband, Pastor Lester Hayes, and uh, we will be conducting the lesson tonight. And uh, I just thank God for this great opportunity. Uh, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for being here with us tonight, for teaching us, for tilling this ground, God, opening it up, our hearts, that we can receive your word. We just want to give you thanks for that, Lord. And we pray that we will bear fruit a hundredfold, God, from your word. We thank you. We thank you for enlarging us, for increasing us, Lord, that no longer will we live by our own standards, but we will live by your standards, your statute, God, what you have called us to do. And in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Holy Ghost, help us with great understanding of the word, with wisdom and knowledge in the word, Father. I just pray that you bring all things back to my remembrance that you have given me to present to your people tonight. I just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. We're going to go ahead and get right in the word. Um, you know, I just thank God. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about drawing nigh to God. Drawing nigh unto God. That would be my subject text tonight, which was taken from the book of James, the fourth chapter, verse 7 and 8. Those are the two verses I took this from, and we're going to build on this. We're starting off drawing nigh to God. And so in verse 7, it says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Thank you, Lord, for the word. And, you know, uh, God had given me this word even uh, last week, even before that, and I had been slowly just reading and and listening but I think this morning when after Pastor Lester finished teaching and how he talked about you know how the Holy Spirit walks alongside of us and how you know what he's there as a paraclete for us and he's a comforter he's the spirit of truth and God brought it back to me this word, well, it hadn't left me, but I, I thought about it this morning, how it fits so well into the message he had given this morning because the Holy Spirit is close to us. He's right there beside us. And how much nearer can we get to God? How much more can we submit ourselves to God other than allowing the Spirit of God to have his way in us? And so it says, submit yourselves. That word submit means to subordinate, 
reflectively to obey. In other words, you ain't got to stand there and think about, mm, do I want to do what God said? He said, do this. I don't know if I really want to do that. Your reflex, our reflex should automatically take on a submissive role to God. If God is in it, we know we're lower than God and we submit. So, we allow him to have our his way in our life. It says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. The scripture is telling us we have to submit to God first. Then, and only then, will we have the strength, the ability, the know-how, the fortitude to resist the devil. And once we resist him, the Bible tells us, and he will flee from us. And so if we really want to know how to get rid of that joker, this is the answer here. To submit ourselves to God first, to subordinate ourselves, that our reflections will take over, that we will become in a submissive position to obey, to be under in obedience, uh, put under, subdue, be subject to. We, we've got to make sure that we place ourselves under God's purposes that we uh, put ourselves. And this is, we got to put ourselves under what his plans and purposes are for our life. Uh, we, we do not compromise his standards, even if they are contrary with our own loved ones. You know how sometimes we can get with our loved ones. They want to go drink. They want to go smoke. Just things we know God don't want us to be a part of. And so sometimes, rather than submitting ourselves to God, staying away from that, we'll go with these loved ones. I remember when I first uh, got saved and I'd come home to visit and my sisters wanted to go and I said well I can go and still be saved well yeah I could but that's not where God wanted me to be and so I can't half-heartedly do this I've got to subordinate myself under the mighty hand of God and only then when I submit myself unto God then I can have the strength to resist the devil. But understand, we got to submit to God first. Only then will we have that strength. First submit to God, then we'll have the strength to resist the devil. Why? Because when we submit to God and place our life in the care of God, see, now we have the Holy Spirit who will be with us. And then and only then, Will he flee? Well, one thing we have to understand, even as we read the word, when you think about in the book of Matthew, when, when Jesus crossed over, he said, come, let us go over to the other side. When they got on the boat and went over, it tells us when he got off of the boat and when he met the man who said his name was Legion because he had a legion of demons, Understand that before he even met that man, the Bible says that the devils were already already recognizing that he was the son of God when the Christian folks wasn't. You got to understand, the devil is not a dummy. He's been around for a while, but 
greater is he that is in us, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, than he that's in the world. And that's where the devil has his ruling in the world. But he knows that once God is on the scene, we have the strength to resist him. And then he will have to flee. This word resist means to oppose, to stand against, to withstand. In other words, once we submit ourselves to God, we will have the strength to oppose him, to stand against, to withstand him. And so here we see how this scripture is giving us insight on what we need to do to make it happen. You know, God is always there for us. But we have to understand that God has given given us his word. And in his word, it tells us what we need to do to make these things happen. Then he goes on in verse 8. Draw nigh to God. Mean get closer. That word nigh means to get closer to God. And he will draw nigh to you. You see, we want God to just come in and take over when we don't even make any effort toward him. And so God is saying, you got to want me first. I'm not going to just come in, take over. I know an evangelist in the uh, church, uh, Pastor Lester and I was in in Virginia, she used to always say, she said, one thing about the Holy Spirit, he is a gentleman. He will never press his way in your life when you don't want. We've got to let them know, I want you in my life, God. I want you, Holy Spirit. Please come be with me. You see, because there are there are spirits out there that we alone can't take care of. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the greater one on the inside of us. So he said, get closer to God, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh. He'll get closer to you. And then listen what James says. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your heart, ye double-minded. We're going to go back and look at this a little later. You know, because here he's, he's really in the New Testament, he's talking about purifying your heart. Repent. Tell the truth. Get this stuff up out of you. Uh, repentance is the first step toward God. When we open our mouth and we say, God, I know I did this and I did that, and it's not right in your sight. This is when we acknowledge to God what we are doing, where we know we stand in life. You know, that stuff might work with people. You act like you don't realize you've offended them. Well, sin is offensive to God, and we can't make it through life going and acting as though we have done nothing against God. So I really want to take a look now that we've looked at my anchor scriptures. I want to take a look at uh, an example. Let's let's take a look at a man who, even though he was called to God, God had made promises to him, and God kept his promises to him. But this young man didn't always keep his promises to God, same way we are. I wouldn't dare talk about him or put him down because his story is written in the Bible for us to learn from. Nobody's just told our story yet. We keep that a secret. We kind of keep that to ourselves. 
But I thank God for our forefathers who didn't mind being in the book and letting us know what we need to do, what changes we need to make. So I want to take a look at uh, Brother Jacob in the book of Genesis chapter 32. I want to give you a little history on him. Uh, uh, and uh, maybe before we, t you can go to that chapter, but let me just give you a little history on Jacob. Jacob's name itself means surplanter, which is someone or something who wrongfully take the place of another. You know how Jacob got this name? Jacob is a twin, and he is the youngest of the twin, but man, Jacob was trying to get on out there in front of his brother. He tried to surplant his brother, and his name, Jacob, means surplanter, and he he was the second born of a set of twins. His older brother was Esau. His parents was Isaac and Rebekah. And so when we look, you can look over, and I'm not going to actually read a couple of these, but I will give you the scriptures that you can go to. it. When you go to the book of Genesis, the 25th chapter, verse 27 and 28, it lets us know that Rebekah favored Jacob, his mother. And I tell you, that's a dangerous thing when you favor a child and you allow that to be seen. Now, sometimes uh, certain parents and maybe a child have things in common. That's one thing. But when you favor a child and, and you favor that child so much, you don't care that your other children know that that's your favorite child. You're causing problems in your own family. And so we see if you read about Jacob's early life, you'll see how he and his mother did a lot of scheming together. You know, uh, Jacob is known as one who was a schemer, but he learned it from the best, his mama. He learned how to scheme and they worked together. And when it got too hot at the house, and Jacob was getting in trouble, mama sent him away. And so we're gonna see as we go on and we look in the Bible, we see in the book uh, a little further in that same chapter, chapter Genesis chapter 25 and verse 29 through 34, we see that Jacob obtained Esau's birthright. And what he did, Esau, was hungry he had been out and he had not eaten anything and he came home hungry and jacob had uh cooked some pottage and esau wanted some and esau told him he was so hungry would he give him some of his stew and so then jacob says <clears throat> i'll give you this food to eat knowing his brother was very very hungry for your birthright and so uh, people say he stole the birthright. Uh, some people, you know, I tend to think that Esau put uh, fleshly things first, which made him sell his birthright. But it really was Esau's birthright. And because of this, there was a rift in the family. And 
Rebecca knew that Jacob was, uh, Esau was very angry at Jacob, and he was, he knew, she knew Jacob and herself was running tricks, and that Esau was getting very upset, and she was afraid he was going to kill his brother, so she sent his brother he, she sent Jacob to live with their uncle, Laban. So, he was about, uh, I guess, a little over 20 when he left. But for 20 years, he was gone to live with his uncle. And when he went to live with his uncle, he fell in love with his uncle's daughter. And he fell in love with her. But see, listen, how many of you know when you're a schemer, you attract other schemers? And then sometimes other schemers are better schemers than you. And this is what happened with him. Uncle Laban was much older and he had been scheming for many more years than Jacob. And so he out-schemed Jacob. Jacob wanted his daughter, uh, Rachel, to wed and what he did instead of he told him he would allow him to wed Rachel but at the wedding uh, and they were all drinking instead of sending Rachel in he sent Rachel's older sister Leah who wasn't as beautiful as Rachel and not only her beautiful beauty he was actually in love with Rachel and not Leah. So after he slept with her that night, that consummated a marriage. So he was now married to Leah. And so then Uncle Laban had him to work for him many more years so he can have Rachel, the one he loved. So anyway, um, it, it's a lot more to that story, but I can't get lost in all the backstory. We're going to move on here. But we see here the schemer is being schemed on himself. But nevertheless, God still said he would bless him. And God meant just what he said. So moving on, we're here at verse 32. And so um, he had been there working for Laban for many, many years, he had um, worked for him, and God really blessed Jacob as he worked for Laban. And here Laban and Jacob uh, didn't see eye to eye, and Jacob, God told Jacob to get up and go back to his kindred's house. So that's what he's doing. He calls his two wives in and, and see, not only does he have the two wives, but he has their maid servants too. So he have children by the wives. He have one child by Rebecca and he has others by Leah and by the maid servant. So he has a total of, I believe it's uh, 12 children and we are going to see how they begin. The scheming is going to take another step. So here we see we're in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. And I'm not going to read that whole chapter because I do not want to uh, 
spend all my time doing that. I really want to be able to pick out and tell you some things in here as we look at Jacob. So uh, just know the chapter before is when he ran away from Laban house and he's going on back home to his kindred's house. But his wife, Rebecca, took some things from her father-in-law. And so late from her father, which is Jacob's father-in-law. So he, uh, Laban, after Jacob was gone three days, someone tells Laban that he's ran off. And he had took uh, the cattle. They had made a deal. One of them would have all the speckled cattle. Uh, animals and the other ones would have the ones that were not speckled and so God blessed him so much that all the the animals the cattle began to be the ones that Jacob had God continued to bless Jacob but not Laban as much and then he decided to leave Laban want to chase him down which he did, and when he caught up with them is really in the end of verse 31 where they God really protects Jacob from Laban. Because even though Jacob was a schemer, but Jacob didn't seem too ready to take on conflict. He liked to scheme and run. He liked to pull tricks on people, and before they know it, he's gone. And so... Uh, here he is going back home, but because how he had did his brother, he was a bit afraid to go back home. And so we pick it up in chapter 32. And Jacob went on his way and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place, my Amen. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau. So here he's beginning to get concerned. Now it's amazing how it starts off in verse 32, talking about the angels of God. This is the first meeting. We're going to see throughout this text that we're going to go over tonight, there are going to be three meetings that uh, he's going to have to deal with. The first one is his meeting with the Lord in Medahim. And here we see that this word means two camps. And in this section, it's talking about the camp of God and the camp of Jacob. And so here he meet up with God and, you know, when God and his army meet up with you, when you've got folks on your back or you're afraid to go meet your brother Esau, who you know you wrong, listen, listen what the scriptures say in the book of uh, Proverbs, the 18th chapter and the 19th verse. It reads, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. This is what Proverbs tell us. It said, when you offend a brother, it's harder to it's harder to win him back than it is a strong city, meaning a strong a city with strong men able to fight. 
And then it says, and their contention are like the bars of a castle. They'll keep you in prison with their contention. And so here we see this is what's happening with him and his brother. But first, he meets the Lord. And, you know, I don't know about you all, but when I'm in a situation and God come in the situation, I start feeling at ease because I got God on my side. But he didn't. He was so used to falling back on his schemes. And so, therefore, even with God in the place, it might have made him feel comfortable for a minute. But he goes right on in verse 3. And Jacob, here he is. He's beginning to make a plan. He's beginning to scheme a little bit. You know, he, he's trying to make a plan on his own instead of trusting in God. And see... This is where the, we have to have the Holy Ghost in our life working each and every day. We have to be fully conscious that he is with us so we don't fall back on schemes and how we used to take care of old problems. We've got to go with the fact that we know our Lord is with us. He's on our side. If we're wrong, he's going to show us and help us get it right. If somebody's wronged us, he's going to protect us against that. And so we've got to know when God is on our side, it's going to always turn out good for us. So, so Jacob began to try to figure out how he can work this out. So here he, he's he's what I call verse 1 through 8, preparation and plotting, because he's doing both of those things. He's anticipating a difficult reunion with his brother. Jacob begins to send messages ahead to inform Esau that he was coming. And so that's what he begins to do. But it's amazing how he tries to set it up. So he's letting them know that he's coming to the country of Edom. And he commanded them. He's even telling his servants what to say. This is what he told them to say. It's in verse 4. Thus shall ye speak unto my Lord Esau, thy servant Jacob said. Thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in his sight. Verse 6, and the messenger returned to Jacob saying, so after he tried to buy him off with a lot of gifts and just try to smooth over what he did. See, this is where we fall short at when the scripture tells us that we need to cleanse our hands, O ye sinner. We need to come clean. He didn't want to come clean. He just wanted to give them some gifts, see. And so he, he, he listen, what he sends to him. He says, and the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, but listen to this, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You know, he knew how he had wronged his brother. He knew, he knew, he knew that 
when his daddy was in there and it was time for the elder brother to be blessed that he and his mama came up with a scheme because his brother was very hairy. They put him on a coat with animal skin on it. So when his daddy, who couldn't see that well, when he felt him, he would think it was his brother. And Esau would go out hunting and bring his dad venison back. So what his mother did, see, I'm telling you, she was a bigger schemer than him. She went in the kitchen and cooked this venison and told, told Jacob to take it in there to his daddy that he would believe that he was Esau serving him some of his venison. And Jacob went right along with it. But because he knew he did his brother so bad, in verse 7 here, it tells us that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands, verse 8, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. He's coming up with a scheme. He's coming up with a scheme. And that's what he turned to first. But listen in verse 9. Jacob began to pray. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac the Lord, which saith unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. So he's reminding God of his own word. God, I'm going back here because you told me to go. Well, really, he was going because he was trying to get away from Laban, too. And verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shown unto thy servant for with my staff I pass over this Jordan and now I am become two bands. So see, he's telling God he had to come up with a scheme to try to, if he couldn't save all his family, he's going to save half his family. And then in verse 11, he said, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, for the hand of Esau, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Least he will come and smite me and the mothers and the mother with the children. So here we see that he has really, he's really appealing to God to help him. Now understand this prayer that he's praying. Here in verse 9, when he began to pray this prayer, in the beginning of it, he tells God remind God of his grace that he had called Abraham and made a covenant with him. So he, and, and this is what's so smart about him. He knew to go in the word to appeal to God. And a lot of times we as Christians know to go back to the word to appeal to God for our situation. But what we fail at is we continue to scheme. We'll tell God his word and we'll try to remind him of his word. But the thing is, we think God has forgotten. God hasn't forgotten his word. God wants us to repeat the word back to him so we can hear it. 
And so here he's telling them about the covenant that he had made with his father. And the covenant was affirmed both, he said, to Isaac and to Jacob. It was on the basis of the covenant that Jacob asked God for, the, for help he desperately needed. And see, God's people today, we need to approach the throne of grace through Jesus Christ on the basis of the New Testament that he made through his own blood. You see, we're not anymore dependent on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We call it on the name of Jesus. I come before you, Lord. You said that if I ask anything in the name of Jesus, and that's what we have to do. We have to. And so we go on to see here, he also began to, to remind God of his commandment. Jacob certainly was happy to get out from under Laban's control, but it was God's idea that he leave and return to his own land. Jacob forgot that God's commandments, listen to this, always involves God enablement. In other words, God's not going to command us to do something that he haven't enabled us to do. For the will of God will never lead us where the power of God can't protect us and provide for us. But you see, in Jacob's imagination, he, read, he ran ahead of God. And he was sure that Esau was coming to destroy him. And see, as we go on, we're going to see that's not true. He goes on in verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shown unto thy servant. For with my staff I pass over this Jordan and now I am become too bad. He's telling God how he know he's unworthy. He, he, he's coming up with stuff. He done separated his family to try to save some of them. He goes on in verse 11. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Verse 12, and thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So here now, verse 12, he's reminding God of his word. God, you told me this. Now, we can't die here. How in the world will my seed be multiplied? How if we die out here? So he's pleading to God, and, and he's giving God back his word, but he don't believe the word. See, this is where a failure comes in. We got to believe what we're saying back to God. When we give God his promise back, when we go over with God, his purpose for our life. We got to believe that. There's no sense in throwing all these scriptures out, saying, repeating what we heard if it hadn't gotten in our hearts and we ourselves believe it. You see? 
we see here he's telling God about his promises in verse 12, you know, but does he believe in these promises? It, it really doesn't look like it. It really doesn't look like it. And so he goes on and, and we see when we look at the next set of verses where he meets up with Esau. Let's look at verse 12. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. Verse 15 is just laying out everything that he's given, the presents he's trying to win Esau over with. 30 much camels with their coats, 40 king and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hands of his servant. Here he comes again. He got another plan. He delivers them into the hand of his servant. Every drove by themselves and said unto his servant, Pass over before me and put a space between drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asked thee, saying, Whose art thou? And whether goest thou? And whose are these before thee? He, he, he's telling them what they got to say. Verse 18. Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my Lord Esau. And behold also, he is behind us. So he's telling them, each and every one of them, what to say. Because when you look at verse 19, it said, And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. So what Jacob is trying to do here, he's come up with this scheme that he's going to buy some time. He's splitting them up, putting space in between them so he can see what his brother's reaction is going to be. So he'll know because his family's not with him. He's sending these gifts ahead. He wants to know how his brother is going to react. Verse 20, and say ye moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Pre-avenge, he will accept of me. See, he want to see what the countenance is on him. How is he looking angry? Is he looking pleased? Is he saying something nice about his brother? Oh, I miss my brother. Or is he saying, I'm going to kill him and his family? He's trying to fill him out. Verse 21, so went the presence over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons 
and pass over the four Jabra. So Jabra. So he hadn't had his last son yet, which was Benjamin. He will have a total of twelve, but at this point it's eleven. So he takes them and he goes across this little brook. And when it talks about uh and pass over the ford, that means in a brook or in a body of water where it's shallow and you can get by. You can cross over there. It's not as deep. And so this is what he was doing. And he was taking a chance because to do that during the day is sometimes dangerous, but to do it at night was definitely dangerous. But he wanted to take his family and his children over there where he felt they could be safer. Not leaving them in the hands of God, but he himself coming up with this scheme to work it out. In verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. How many of you know sometimes we need to be just left alone? We need to go somewhere by ourselves so God can talk to us. And there wrestled a man with him unto the breaking of the day. They've been wrestling all night. Verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, talking about this man, he touched the hollow of his thigh. Now, hollow of his thigh, the thigh muscle is a big muscle. And it means the stronger part of your thigh because it's a group of big muscles which gives it more strength. And see, that's what God has to do. See, some of this stuff in life, we've learned to have strength in, whether it's our scheming, our education, our bank account. Sometimes God got to touch it and put it out of commission so we can stop counting on these things and we can count more on God. And so here we see that he touched him in the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. But see, this is what I love about Jacob. He still didn't let God go. And that's what we got to do sometimes. Listen, when we're going through things, we got to still hold on to God. We cannot let him go. We need God in our life. We need our paraclete to walk along beside us. And he said, let me go for the daybreak. And he said, I will not let thee go except thy bless me. Jacob had made up his mind. I'm going to fulfill my needs through God tonight. I'm going to hold on to God until I get his blessing. Not my schemes, but God blessing. Verse 27, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now remember that name, Jacob, means surplanter. Now what did we say earlier it means? It means someone who kind of stands in or wrongfully take the place of another. And so here... He said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Verse 28, And he said, Thy name shall be called no, no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince have thou powered with God and with men. 
and hath prevailed. In other words, you have held on to God tonight. You have held on to him and not let him go. And so here the name Israel means strive. God strives. God contends uh, to wrestle with God, triumphant with God. Not that he was triumphant over God, but he triumphant with God. And giving us the understanding that throughout our life, we can triumph with God. As long as we have God with us, you see, we're not going to be able to do it by ourselves. But with God, we can do all things. And here we see that he changed his name. And so now at this point, all Jacob, or now he's named Israel, he needs to walk in this profession. But we're going to see he'll revert back to some of his old ways. So here we go. Let's take a look at this. So we see in the beginning, Jacob met God in verses, uh, in verse 1. Mm-hmm. When he saw the angel of God met him, he met God then. That's got to be our first meeting. We got to meet God. Come on, y'all. That's why the scripture said, draw nigh unto God. You see, we got to get close to him, and he's going to draw nigh unto us. And so his first meeting was with God, but when we look at verse 27 through 32, we see that he's going to take a good look at himself. This is when he's got to look at himself. And, and the angel, and wrestling with the angel, and the angel is bringing attention to who he is. And he said, what's your name? He's introducing him or bringing about his old self, but introducing him to this new creature, Israel. Woo, come on now. One who can strive with. And triumphant with God. See, we got to let him introduce us to the new us as Christian, a new creature in Christ. Come on now. All things are passed away and all things, but who have become new? We have got to be introduced to the new me, the saved Sharon, the Sharon who have given Christ her life, everything about her, all her possessions. And so here we see in verse 28, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob. Get rid of that old man. But Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with man, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? In other words, why are you asking me my name? This about you tonight. We tried to get you straight tonight. I'm here to help you tonight. You don't need to worry about what my name is, but know that you got some strength on board. And he blessed him there. Because, see, Jacob was for real, and he knew Jacob was for real. See, God knows what you mean when it comes out your mouth. He knows if it came from the right place, our hearts. And he knew that night that even though Jacob might not be 
the whole Israel that he's going to be one day. But you got to remember, God see the end at the beginning. He knows who we're going to turn out to be. And so here, verse 30, and Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. In other words, I didn't die. Oh, I I went in, I held on to God. I took a good look at him. I saw his strength. I saw his grace. I met up with his love for me. And I didn't die because I knew I was a wretch, unfit to be in the presence of the Lord. But oh my God, oh my God. And so here we see, uh, he gives this place a new name because his life was preserved. And as he passed over, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. So see, he's limping now. Mm. See, God sometimes have to think was strong naturally to us and make it something weak. We look at we look at the apostle Paul when he prayed to God three times to remove it. God said, "No, no, no, I'm not. My grace is sufficient for thee." See, God sometimes have to leave a reminder with us so we don't keep going back to that old place. He got to make that place not so good for us anymore, and so that's what we see him doing here. And therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. So in other words, the sinew, that muscle, that tissue in his thigh that used to be a group of strong muscles. If you study anatomy and physiology, you will know these are some of your strongest muscles because they're large and they're in a group together. And so they bring more strength. But God God made them weak in that spot. Why? So I don't count on me, but I count on God. And verse in the chapter 33, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided. Now, here he go. After God have done all this for him, Pastor Lester, he's scheming again. And these schemes that he's pulling now is going to affect his family for a lifetime. It's going to cause a rift with his children. So here it says, Esau came and with him 400 men, and he divided the children of Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost. They went up front. And then Leah and her children after that, and Rachel and Joseph the hindermost. So see, he kept the ones he loved the most in the back. And what do you think that does to your child 
or any child when mama or daddy or put me up there to be slaughtered first if that's what's going to happen. And so here we're going to see even as the children get older, they're going to throw Joseph in the pit. They're going to sell him into slavery. All because this began to, to bring about hatred between them. And so here we see that's just a little sidebar. But, you know, as you read on, when you read it in Genesis, you'll see that. Verse 3, and he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times unto him, until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him. Oh, he ran and he met his brother and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. What a beautiful meeting between two brothers that God had already orchestrated. There was no reason for him to do all that scheming. And see, this is why God is telling us. He said, he said, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, repent. But once you repent, allow the Holy Ghost to purify your heart. So you don't keep on going back. See, and then it said, ye double-minded, trying to be saved, and still trying to hold on to your schemes. He's asking us to let the scheming go. Let all that that your old man used to do to get over. Let it go and depend on God. And so here we see that God is trying to help us leave that old stuff behind. Listen to this in my closing. When God rules in our lives, then he can trust us with his power for only those who are under authority have the right to exercise his authority see we have no right to exercise his authority if we're not under his authority while with his parents and brother jacob had served himself and created problems and for 20 years, he served Laban and created further problems. But now he will serve God and be a part of the solution. And that's where we need to be. We see three meeting places here. First, he met with God. That's what we got to do first. Second, we have to become new creatures in Christ. And then thirdly, he met with Esau. Esau represents to us whatever our challenges are in life. We can meet with those challenges and we can conquer them in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you for the word tonight. I pray that seed was planted in hearts and that it will take root and grow in your word, God. But Father... You have surely, surely taught us well. 
You have given us the word of life that we can live by the bread of life, your word, Father. And I thank you for it. I pray that along with that, we get understanding, we get wisdom and understanding of your word. So we thank you, Lord, and we just give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.